praying, they were singing about praying. Uh, shoot him up an arrow prayer. Great to be uh, hearing it sung as we think about it. Uh, we're uh, in the start or the second week of looking at the Psalms together. We're in a series on that at the moment. So uh, we're going to be encouraging you too to write your own Psalm. So keep that in mind. In uh, week five on the 27th of August, uh, as part of what we do there, I'm going to give you an opportunity to share your Psalm with us. You can either come up and speak it or you can give it to me. Uh, it doesn't have to be a long psalm. Some of the psalms go for a couple of verses. Some of them go for 150 verses. Um, but if you want to just, uh, have a, one that you'd like to put down, that'd be great. So to be thinking about that. Think about that in your gospel community groups throughout the week too. Opportunity for you to think that through and for you to express your feelings to God in a poem or in a song because that's what the psalms are, aren't they? They're cries of the heart. They're what's going on on the inside of the people as they express that. Uh, David and the sons of Asaph and a number of other ones that we don't know who wrote. That's what we have in the book of Psalms. People's cries of their heart and they express what's going on for them before God. Uh, and this week we're going to be looking at Psalm 16. Uh, so if you've got that, feel free to open up the Bible. Also be on the screen in a moment. And Betty's going to read that to us in just a moment. Uh, but some of you know, or most of you know, that a couple of weeks ago we've been away for two weeks, Karina and I. We've been down to Sydney uh, for Hamish and Sarah's wedding and then also catching up with our son Alex and his wife Rach who are home for a week uh, before they head off again. And uh, in that two weeks there was a lot of racing around. We drove down, we did a lot of racing around while we were down there and then we drove back the nine and a half hours uh, and we got home. And once we got home and we put all the bags inside, Karina sat down on the couch and she said, how good is it to be home? It's a lovely, everyone's saying, they're all going, yeah. We know that feeling, don't we? We know that feeling we're home. Because when we're home, we feel safe and secure, don't we? We sit down, we relax. It's that place where we feel we can be who we are, we don't have to pretend, we can just sit, we can be there, we can relax, it's possibly quiet and you can uh, just feel that sense that you're safe and secure. Well, that lasted probably about 15 minutes when you get home, doesn't it? Uh, then if you've got kids, all mayhem breaks loose, or for us we've got two stupid dogs that cause chaos. Uh, and then you get a phone call or a text message or an email and suddenly it's just all around you again, isn't it? But it's nice, isn't it? That sense of being safe and secure. That place where you can rest and be who you are. Wouldn't it be great to be in that now and for eternity? Well, that's what Psalm 16 is about. About being safe and secure now and for eternity. Betty's going to come up and read that for us, Psalm 16. Uh, it's not a long psalm, but it's a great psalm. And have a listen as you hear David as he expresses his desire and his hope in being safe and secure. Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. 
The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Truly, I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Did you notice that? What's David's plea right at the very beginning of this psalm? He says, keep me safe, my God, for you, in you, I take refuge. It's a cry of David. It's a cry from his heart for God to be his safe place. He's a cry from him to his father to say, keep me safe in every situation and circumstance that I'm in. It's one of those great sights, I reckon, is when you see a child and they're there and then something might share or scare them a little bit and what do they do? They run straight back to their parents, don't they? They dive into their arms and they feel that safe and secure place, that place where they know nothing can get them. That's the picture that David's saying here. He's saying that that's what he wants from God. That's what he desires from God. He wants to know that he can be in that safe place with him where God's arms are wrapped around him and will keep him safe forever. And so that's his cry right at the beginning of the psalm. And we'll notice as you go through this psalm that David gets an answer to that. And he sees that and he experiences that and he praises God for that. And so that's what we're going to be doing as we look through the psalm. Notice how David does that and what he says through that as he comes as he expresses his cry of his heart to be safe and secure with his heavenly Father. It's a great cry of ours too, isn't it? Our cry that that's where we find our safety. That's where our safe place is. Where we're with God and he's got us. It's a wonderful cry, isn't it? And he says there, doesn't he? Uh, at the same time, David is saying that, he says that the first way of expressing that is he goes on, he says, verse 2, doesn't he? He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. In expressing his cry for his heart, he also expresses that his treasure, where he sees everything that he desires, is found where? In God. That's his treasure. That's where he finds his heart's most joy is found in knowing his God and who he is and what he is about. It's often the case, isn't it, uh, where our heart is, uh, is where our treasure is, isn't it? Jesus says that, doesn't he? He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's the same for us too, isn't it? 
where our treasure is, there our heart will be. And so often that treasure can be in all sorts of places. Uh, it can be in all sorts of areas. But David is saying to us and saying as he expresses his, his emotion to God that there is only one place where his desire will be completed. It's only one place where his greatest treasure is and that's in God, in his arms, in his safety. Uh, someone said this to me, uh, I read during the week, the intensity of your delight in something expresses how much you value it. The intensity of your delight in something expresses how much you value it. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, imagine that uh, you come home and you've been away from your husband or your wife or your, your mum or your dad and you get off the plane and as you get off the plane, there they are there and all they do is wave and say hi. And then they walk off and uh, just tell you to follow you to come and put your bags away. You'd be feeling, oh, they really didn't want me to be home at all, would they? That wouldn't be... But imagine as you, as you walk in and you get off the plane and they race up to you and they give you a big hug and cuddle and they welcome you. It's so good to have you. There's a great expression. You think, yeah, they delight in me, don't they? There's an expression of delight there. Because the intensity of your treasure it comes out in the delight that you have for that person. How's your intensity, your delight going in God? I was speaking to a friend of mine just the other day. Uh, he came over and he was telling me about how he was at the soccer the other day. And when he was at the soccer the other day, uh, his son was out there playing and he was really excited about his son being out there playing. And the next minute his son got clobbered, got swiped out from the side. And not only did that, but this big bloke who wiped out his son then landed on top of him and went shunk. And his son was just sprawled out on the ground. And he said, you wouldn't believe it, he said. But I it just dwelled up within me. The rage got up in a minute. He jumped up and he started yelling abuse at the ref. And then the coach from said, no, it was a mistake. He, was, he didn't mean to do it. Yes, he meant to do it. Look at my son. He sprawled out on the ground. He meant it. And he got up and he got angry. And people saying, can't I come here? It's all right. But that was the intensity of his delight in his son. Because when his son was being hurt, he jumped up, didn't he? That anger, that rage... That's because he delights in his son. How's your intensity and delight for God? Because you see, God's intensity and delight in you is like my mate to his son. Or even greater. Because you see, the intensity of the delight of God in you meant that he just doesn't get up in anger but he gets up and he acts and he goes to the cross for you. That's the intensity of the delight of God in you. That's phenomenal, isn't it? That's how much he delights in you. You are his treasure and he loves you so much that he sends Jesus to go to the cross and die and rise again for you. He sends of himself because you're a great treasure to him. Now David doesn't know that in this psalm yet but we see a little bit later that David has an inkling and understanding that God is going to do something amazing. 
at this point he cries out to God to be his refuge because you are my treasure because he does know that God has saved him and brought him out and done amazing things for him. But we know even more than that, don't we? God's intensity of delight in you means that he sends Jesus for you. How's your intensity and delight in God at the moment? How's, uh, how's your barometer? How's your barometer with God at the moment? Is it changeable? Is it cloud nine? Is it low point? Well, at this point, David's expressing this is what he desires, isn't he? He's expressing this is where he wants to go. And let's see what he does with that because as he goes through this psalm, you'll see his intensity grow. I pray as you go through this psalm too, as we work through this today, that your intensity will grow too for him. Because look what he says next. Uh, He goes on from verse 3. He says, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. You see, David is saying that there is a danger here. There's a danger when we are not feeling quite right with God. There's a danger with that that we will actually run away from God. You see, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. He said there's a danger that you'll actually drift You see, you can't have your feet in two boats. That's what he's saying. You can't have your foot in either pant. You can't say, well, I believe in God, but then I'm going to run after other gods. And I can't say, I believe in God, but then I run after other idols. Because what happens when those boats spread apart? You're in trouble, aren't you? And David's saying that if you run after other gods, other idols, then you're going to actually suffer more and more. Remember last week we said the worst thing to do is run away from God when we're in trouble. The best place is to run to him because he's our refuge. He's our safe place. And so we've got to be careful, don't we, that we don't run after other gods. We don't run after other idols. Now, back in David's time, it was like after stone gods or after particular cults that are over here. In our day and age, there's lots of other things that want to set us on two feet on one side, aren't there? There's a sense of power. There's a sense that our gas bottle's just turned off. It's all good safety. It's okay. We're not going to die. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> there's that sense, isn't it? There's a sense of that we can drag into a, thinking that our careers all is, that we can be dragged into thinking that our family is the idol. We can get dragged into thinking that holidays are our idols. We can get dragged into thinking that surf is our idols. We can get dragged into thinking that just about anything that is good in this world can become our idol. Because you see, God is saying, I'm your greatest delight, but there are so many other things that want to, shiny things that want you to be and dragged into that delight. And there can be really good things. I'm looking forward to my long service leave. It's a great thing. But it can't be my idol. I can't go into the fact that now I start to get the travel bug and that becomes my idol. Or maybe you get success in the business and you think, oh, that's nice, isn't it? And it's good and you can be doing great at it, but when it becomes your idol, it starts to drag away, doesn't it? 
And that's what David's saying here. There's a danger here. We need to be careful of this. He's saying there's a warning. He's saying a warning to the people he's writing to. There's a warning for him. There's a warning for all of us, isn't there? When good things go from being good things to being our idols and drag us away from God. On the, behind our house where we live in Banksy Street, there's a path that goes along the back there. And up until about yesterday, there was water in that path since April. Uh, there's been water since our, the whole lot of rain that we had. Uh, there's been water there. And so the council decided that they'll make sure no one goes down there and they put up one of these things. They put up a warning thing across both ends of, of the path. And that's all they are really, aren't they? They're warnings. You can walk around that, of which I did multiple times. Uh, you can ride it. You can just move it to the side. You can go through. Warnings are only warnings, aren't they? It's up to us to make the decision whether we heed them or not. And so David is saying in his heart, and to those he's writing to, heed the warning here. Heed the warning. Be careful not to have your feet on two boats. Stick to the one. Because he's the greatest treasure. So he's going to explore that even more in the next couple of verses because he goes on there, he says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. You see, David's now moving to making pronouncements about who God is and who God is to him. He's moving from the cry of the heart to, I want to be safe with you, Lord, to being the danger of not being safe to you. And now he comes to the cry to who God is and what he is to who David is, of what he is to David. He says there, he says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Uh, Now for David that in one sense is the fact that he's king of Israel and he's got a nation, but actually that's not what he's talking about specifically. He's not talking about a piece of land here. He's talking about a person. His inheritance is God himself. That's where he finds his delight. That's where the lines have been formed. He has God himself as an inheritance. That's who's going to be his. That's going to be wonderful for him. You see, the safest place in all the world is in the arms of our almighty God. That's what David's saying here. That's expressing to him. He's saying, it's most safe here with you, Lord, with you, God. I don't know where your barometer is, but sometimes we think it's not here, do we? Sometimes we don't think our safest place is here. Sometimes we think it's somewhere else or in someone else. And as soon as we find our treasure or our delight, first and foremost in something else or someone else, other than God, our feet are on two boats. There's lots of good things, isn't there? There's lots of great people. But no one and nothing is as beautiful as our God or as safe as him. And you see, David tells us that this isn't just an automatic thing. Refuge isn't automatic. Actually, it's, uh, it becomes something that you do with God. It's something that actually it's interactive. Uh, because what he says in the next couple of verses, does he? I will praise the Lord 
who counsels me. Uh, even at, my, at night, my heart instructs me. Keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him in, at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You see, it's interactive that happens here. That sense of refuge, yes, when we believe and trust in Jesus, we are automatically in God's family. But for us to actually feel that and know that, then it actually becomes an interactive experience that God has. He actually said that this is something that becomes a work in a sense, that you actually move towards this. And so it's not so much we just sit there and expect God to do it, but actually we're involved in it. That's how good our God is, isn't he? He actually interacts with us. He comes and does life with us in a sense. And he wants us to be seeking counsel, seeking him. Uh, if you had been here on Tuesday night, there's that statement, you would have heard this verse that uh, Nicole shared with us about doing the studies together. It comes from John uh, chapter 12, verse 15. I think it's, if you really love me, uh, you will keep my band, my command, sorry, and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another comforter, counsellor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby, that's all the words for Holy Spirit, and he and that he may remain with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. You see, God gives us his Spirit, his counsellor, who drags us to his word and enlightens his word so that we get to praise God and find more of our delight and more of our treasure in God. In the studies that uh, Nicole showed us the other day is that as we read God's word, asking God's spirit to reveal that to us, he'll open up and instruct us and counsel us and point us and guide us to how wonderful he is. And that will guide us in our paths of how we live here and now. There's that struggle within, isn't there? Do you struggle with that? Do you struggle with feeling God as being your refuge, of being safe with him? It becomes an internal thing within us, doesn't it? Well, David says we need to do a couple of things as part of this. And don't just think it's going to be automatic. He says, actually, get involved with it. Get involved with God in this. He goes, seek his counsel. Seek his instruction. Seek his guidance in his word and in his people. If your barometer is fading, if your barometer is going down to the negative, can I encourage you that David says to do this? To seek God's counsel, to seek his instructions, to seek his guidance in his word and with his people to do that together. I think sometimes when we feel like we're not feeling close to God, then often what we do is we contract into ourselves. We, we seek back to our own thing, we get back into our own little cocoons and we form little bubbles around, in a sense that we put barriers up around us and actually that's not helpful. Because God has actually given us his word and his people together and his spirit within us and as his people gather with his spirit within us, then that's how he counsels us, that's how he instructs us, that's how he guides us as we get around the word together. Now, I know it's not easy because we want to we want to suck back into that ourselves, don't we? We want to pull ourselves away from people, but actually that's that's the worst thing we can do. You know, saying, Paul, well, you're not in the middle of depression, Paul, and you're not feeling, and I know I'm not in the middle of depression at the moment, but I've been part of that and I've seen it, and I know that it's hard. 
God says the best thing to do is actually get out into it and be there with people. Because as you talk to people and you hear people, you see God at work in people. As you talk to people and you get God's word, the Spirit works through that and encourages you and draws you. And actually what you start to see is how good God is in that because it's not just all about you and what's going on for your life and what's bad in here. You actually start to see what God's doing out here as well. As you see what God's doing out here, you start to get encouraged and then that builds you up and that encourages you and you actually start to see what God's doing. You see that God's bringing people into your life and showing you and opening up his word to you and then you start to delight in God again as well. And that's why we are so strong about our gospel communities. So we want people to be in those things and be part of those things because we know when you're by yourself, it's tough. It's hard. You know, sometimes when you're in your gospel community, it can be difficult too. Don't get me wrong. You know, you've got other people there and you've got to talk to them. Man, that can be tough sometimes. But that's where God works. And I know there's nights when we think, oh, I can't make it or I can't get there. And legitimately there are times when we can't. But if it becomes one or two or three or four, well, that's when the danger comes, doesn't it? Because then you start to withdraw and pull back and then it starts to become just all about you and what's going on around here. And it cycles down. So I'm going to encourage you. The way for you to get out of that barometer of being down here is actually to be with others who are going to encourage you and uplift you. And through God's spirit as he speaks through them and then speaks through his word, as you're doing that together, you'll be uplifted and find your delight and your treasure. It'll start to change. Your barometer will move. Because that's how God's designed us to be. That's how he shows his delight. As his spirit works through us, as we're with other people, as we're winning his word together, that's how we see the delight and treasure of God. And that intensity will grow. And so David now moves from saying we need to seek these things. It's an interactive thing. Uh, he now moves into actually praising God, actually talking to himself about how good God is. You know, people used to tell you, wasn't it, you know, the first sign of madness is that you talk to yourself. The second sign is that you speak back to yourself. Well, I'm sorry to say we're all mad because we all do that, don't we? We've talked to her about that before. We actually self-talk heaps and we actually answer ourselves heaps. We talk back to ourselves a lot. And David actually goes on in verse 9 here, what he says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Notice how that works again, tongue rejoices, then he rests secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, we'll talk about it in a minute, nor will you let your faith one seed again. You make known the path of my life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David is actually saying that we need to self-talk to each other to ourselves about how great God is. Yell it. Sometimes we need to yell it, don't we? We need the megaphone here and we need to yell at ourselves, God, you are great. Well, sometimes it just needs to be this. It's more quiet in the ear, don't we? And you might say, well, that's one way to brainwash ourselves, isn't it? But I tell you what, you're trying to brainwash yourself all the time. If you're not talking to yourself about how good God is, you're talking about how bad you are or how bad the circumstances are or how much God isn't caring for you or looking after you. So it's not brainwashing, guys. 
It's the way that God works with us. The way God wants us to self-talk about how good and great and gracious and wonderful he is. You see, by declaring and exalting what God is for us will help us to move to the unshakable confidence in God. We will feel safe in him. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but every now and then, uh, at least once or twice a week while I'm working in the office, and if I'm doing things that don't require me to do a whole lot of uh, really tough thinking about stuff, then what I do is I go onto YouTube and I'll put in uh, one of my favourite bands, uh, Christian bands, and then it'll come up with them and then it'll come up with a 50 list beside it and I'll just click on the 50 list, I'll turn the music up and while I'm going I'll just be listening to these great songs that you guys are singing about how wonderful God is, how great and gracious and good he is. And I'll blast it away Man, I love it. It's fantastic, isn't it? Because you're hearing it, aren't you? Rather than just, you start to self-talk the same things because you start singing the songs with them and you start to self-talk about how good God is and it keeps going on. And then Corinne knocks on the door and says, put your headphones on! <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's probably a good idea. Not everyone in the whole neighbourhood needs to hear it, but I thought it's not a bad witness to the neighbourhood, you know? They can hear what's going on out there. And so I need to put the headphones on. I put the head- But I do, and then... You've got these great things going on in your head and then you go out from that and you start singing those songs. You start... that's, that's what David's saying here. His voice rejoices. His tongue rejoices. And so David then starts to feel safe and secure, doesn't he? Look, he says, I will not be shaken at the end of verse 5. In verse 9 there he says, my body will also rest secure. You see, David is saying, his plea at the beginning is, God be my safe place. He says, there's a danger that I could get dragged away. But as I seek him and his counsel, as I do that, as I seek that, as I get into his word, as his Holy Spirit works within me, as my Holy Spirit works within me and through his people, as I self-talk, about how great God is, I start to feel confidence in God, unshakable in Him, safe in Him. Because He knows that this is going to be an eternal truth. He knows this is going to be forever. He says in verse 10, "'Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, "'nor will you let your faithful ones see decay.'" Now, who knows where that is used in the New Testament? It's a test for you, isn't it? John. No, approximately? It's to do with Jesus. Absolutely, John. It's absolutely to do with Jesus. But someone uses it in his sermon very early on in Acts chapter 2. Peter. Peter uses this very verse in his sermon to say what John said exactly. This is about who Jesus is. So David is talking about himself to a degree here, that God will hold him and keep him and take him into eternity. But he's also prophesying about the one who will actually bring that to fruition. And in Acts 2, Peter brings it out as he's preaching to the crowd. He quotes this as one of the verses that he quotes to say this is about Jesus. Jesus is the one that's going to make this happen. And Jesus is going to make this happen not only for David, but for you and I. 
that we're going to be eternally safe in God's hands, in his presence, in his family forever because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Because he won't see decay. Yes, he dies on the cross, but he's risen again. He doesn't see decay. He's renewed, transformed, isn't he? When we see Jesus' body after it's risen, it's not in decay. And neither will yours be when you rise with him. That eternity will be ours. And David proclaims it here and prophesies about it out of the same verse. It's amazing, isn't it? Thousands of years before this, he's talking about someone who's going to do that and it's Jesus. This is a quote by John Piper who sums up, in a sense, this because in verse 11 we see this wonderful thing that you'll have all the pleasures that you could possibly imagine are in God. John Popper says, this is the summary of what this, uh, verse 16, God will bring you, body and soul, through life and death, to full and everlasting pleasure, if he is your safest refuge, and your supreme treasure, and your sovereign Lord and trusted counsellor. That's what Psalm 16 is saying, isn't it? And we know from where we stand that that is all found in Jesus. David is speaking about it and we know it in Jesus. What wonderful truth that is, guys, for where we live in this world that we are. You see, safe and secure in Jesus now and for eternity. That's what Psalm 16 is pointing us to. About our God who is our safest refuge. And doesn't just leave us with that, doesn't just say it, does he? But he says, how, this is how you can do it. He says that God's interactive in this with you. Seek his counsel. Seek his guidance. Seek him in your life. Seek him through his word and through his people. And then self-talk it. Tell yourself about it. Speak it to yourself. Have that little voice that says how good and gracious and great is our God. And as you do that, as you praise God in that, as you see that that all comes together in Jesus, then I pray that you, like David, will say, Lord, you are my safe place. Lord, you are my refuge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we take a moment to let that settle in and take a moment to contemplate what you are saying to us through your word as your spirit applies us into our lives. We ask, Lord, that we will be filled with that confidence, filled with that security, that you are our safe place, that you are our refuge, that, Lord, we will delight in you, that we will delight in Jesus. And, Lord, that you'll grow that intensity within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.